the Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC Auckland Breakdown, picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. Dark night. It's a dark night. What is up, you savages? This is the Protecting Neck Podcast. I am your host, Dan Tom. Analyst's work you can find over at MMAJunkie.com. This year program, the Protecting Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA. That's what we're going to do today, tonight, whenever you're listening to this. Hopefully it's before the fight. Recording this about 26 hours prior to fight time, uh, close to noon on West Coast Pacific time here. Late, but as you know, um, not only is that my style, but uh, this was a week where I probably wasn't even going to get you a podcast, although I did kind of say I wasn't even going to do a light one on Wednesday to get it out of the way. Of course, that didn't happen. <sighs> way too much to get done before my mother's surgery, so wasn't able to do that. My mom did have her surgery, by the way. Uh, she survived it, and now it is the step two of it, the repairing and rebooting process, um, which can be really difficult to, to you know, to see and and sit through so I wanted to keep my mind busy because uh, there's nothing I can do for right now anyways we're still waiting for her speech to come back and turn back on properly um, and they're running a bunch of tests so I can't do anything until then nor can I physically be at the hospital much less barely even record this stupid thing with uh, the rambunctious puppy so uh, I will get my relief later on my stepdad, my sister are there now, and uh, rather than wait and go go crazy, I um I've been trying to keep my mind busy this week with like just doing tape study like as if it were a normal week, and have some opinions on this card UFC Auckland UFC on ESPN Plus twenty six UFC Fight Night one sixty eight. So I figured, why not sit down and give y'all degenerate some some crunching and listening to in case you needed more. I'm not sure why you make time for me in the first place, but those of you that do, I appreciate you and um going to do my best to, to to I know, look check the time when I say this, give you as an expedited version as possible. So as per usual, check the timestamps, albeit uh it, I am going to shoot have this as a fast expedited version. Check the timestamps when I start the breakdown. And of course, I will recap my picks and plays at the end, basic outline of the show after this brief update, which is pretty much done. I'm going to move on to a very quick recap of UFC Rio Rancho. Not going to be spending too much time talking about any talking points there. Um, you know, see your Twitter timeline for all the Josh Fabia takes, anyways. You don't, you don't need me to jump on that train. I'm sure I'll bring my own weirdness as I usually do. Apologize for the dog noise in the background. After the UFC Rio Rancho recap, I'm very quickly just pretty much going to list off some odds and picks, which are pretty much all with the favorites for Bellator's uh, multiple cards. But again, I'm not diving deep into any of those. Didn't do any tape study on any of those. And then, of course, we will do, do break down the card from top to bottom. Uh, and there's a lot of discussion 
uh, at least I see on my timeline as far as podcasts asking listeners what they like. And it is interesting to see that most people like it from bottom to top. And I used to do that here, but I would run out of energy and I don't edit as much as um, I should. And I'm kind of a one-take rain man, if you will, or try to be, uh, aside from the start of multiple starts of this podcast for reasons. As you can hear, stop chewing on my suitcase over there. I'm watching you. Sorry. Brownie. Um, yeah, I don't know where I was. Sorry, folks. So let's just get on with it, shall we? Um, the bad picks continue <laughs> continue to go on, as you can probably see why, um, with all the kind of chaos in life. Uh, <laughs> it's been making it hard to tape study with all this stuff going on. Uh, so it kind of makes sense that my picks continue to be poor. Went 7-6 and six overall for UFC Rio Rancho, 0-2 in straight plays, 0-2 for the uh, prop. Owen one for the prop and um, aided on the parlay piece. Tim Means went too heavy on that chalk. Of course, Jan Blakovic defeated Corey Anderson via KO round one. Um, I'm sure that was the dynamic that me and many listed. You know, even if we picked Corey Anderson, where you know if Jan doesn't find it by the second round, even Jan agreed with it because he didn't see it going past the second round according to his game plan. I think he knew he wasn't going to win a decision against Anderson and. Um, those chin issues are still uh, still there. When he goes out, he goes out hard, man. Hope Anderson's okay. And that just felt like a classic spot we should have seen in hindsight, especially people like myself who have been Blockowitch supporters. Brownie. Sorry. Uh, apologies, folks. Um, yeah, Diego Sanchez defeated uh, Michelle Pereira. That was never in doubt. Just kidding. Via disqualification, illegal knee. Um. Yeah, that was that was a rough look. Uh, I'm not one of those jumping on Diego Sanchez's case. Uh, I, I don't even think it's um, Jason Herzog's fault either. He really tried to play it within the lines as possible without outright lying or denying the fighter information that are actually in the rules. Um. But yeah, it's it's you know, <laughs> I I I I don't think it's uh I'm not you know. Lighting my torch. Diego Sanchez, he's a coward. And believe me, that is not me at all. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it's not the most fan-winning performance, right? So, yeah, make of that what you will. And, uh, yeah, plenty of plenty of Josh Fabia story, Fabia stories, and the guy's just very disturbing. And, uh, uh, and yeah, you don't want to end up like that guy. I'll say that. I'm um, not going to pile on Montel De La Rosa defeated Maramero Borella. Uh, you know, um, she looked good, did better, uh, better than her husband, which we'll get to, unfortunately, for, for that, them, but ended on a good note for whatever that's worth. Uh, the second pick I got right, only because of disqualification, Brock Weaver defeated Kazula Vargas, who, you know, apparently more come, came out on Kazula Vargas as well. Apparently he's not the greatest training partner. Very hot-headed. If he does get a chance in the UFC again, which I don't think he will, um, it's hard to bet that a guy like that because even if he's winning, just to do that, I mean, <coughs> um, so just fighting angry seems to be something, regardless of the circumstance he does. Ray Borg defeated uh, Rogerio Monterin via unanimous decision. Um, yeah. I mean, it, this was definitely one of two ways the fight could have went. I just thought uh, Bontarine would be able to put up uh, 
better of a fight down the stretch, and perhaps Bork would, um, you know, the sacrifice to get down a flyweight would reflect in the gas tank. But, of course, you miss weight, and, of course, as you know, if you're counting on a fighter to slow down or fatigue or even if they have a history of it, for whatever reason, when they miss weight, <laughs> they bring much more cardio as well as weight with them. Um, and I'm not trying to take away from Borgie's performance, but you can't really deny that, especially when he's won all the fights he's missed weight at at 125. So there's that. Um, but, you know, hard not to sympathize with the family thing. I know that can only go so far, but I'm just saying. Land of Nada defeating Anthony Medeiros via unanimous decision. Um, yeah, I think we all expected that fight to be more fun, but Venata um, stuck behind his game plan, and Medeiros couldn't really uh, adapt or uh, change up meaningfully enough to uh, to even earn a round. Uh, Daniel Rodriguez man, looked much better than in the tape. Of course, that's the tough part about these limited tape and you know having the most relevant fights. But still, um, yeah, heavy hands, man. And not taking anything away from Daniel Rodriguez. Definitely seems like he'd be a fun guy. You know, jiu-jitsu boxers are always great. But um, whether it was the the shape Tim Means was in, he's never, like, ripped to begin with. But between that and just seeing how he's been getting rocked and just the way he's been getting rocked, it's not good. Not good. Um, For one of my favorite southpaws. Uh, not one of my favorite Southpaws, but who uh, did some Southpaw tings was uh, John Dotson defeating Nathaniel, Nathaniel Wood by TKO. Finally getting a TKO on a win back on his record since Manny Gamburian. And he does a gear, which is really impressive. Um, perhaps not that surprising considering Wood does take damage in his fights, but he's always good about recovering and was not able to recover here. So good on Dotson. And that, that shut down that Wood by decision prop. Also, the second straight play that went down was... Uh, Jim Miller, of course, lost Keanu's decision. Silver lining there, he at least got a fight of the night. So that was good to see. Uh, Miller at least get a fight of the night, and uh, hopefully, uh, uh, hopefully Holtzman, uh, you know, showed Miller the proper respect after the fight. Especially that Jim Miller's toughness uh, is what got Holtzman the fifty thousand um, dollars. But good on Holtzman to getting that win. Devin Clark defeated Dequan Townsend. Brown Bear, come on, Devin. Uh, um, sorry, <laughs> not, not a lot to the brown bear pressure, which is probably good for your eardrums. Um, you know, also good for your eardrums when Trevor Giles doesn't fight. Um, but uh, yeah, Devin Clark, uh, you know, uh, I think something was wrong wrong with his leg, so I guess Dequan Townsend got uh, out grappled by a one legged person, and again, for the second fight in a row from Jackson Wink. Um, all right, um, Mirab Davilashvili uh, defeated Casey Kenny. Uh, man, I, I wish I made more time to research this one because, like I was saying on the breakdown, I went in. I'm like, this looks like a bettable fight, but I didn't, I didn't get to look at it. And I respect Casey Kenny, so I stayed off the gas there. But Davilashvili sh- showed why he's a bad matchup for many, but even for a guy like Kenny uh, in particular, um, playing that fast and loose grappling, scrambling back and forth, clinch game. It's a dangerous game to play, especially with a guy like Devalishvili, who had the judo and sambo uh, credentials. Where are you off to? Oh. Sorry, keeping an eye on the little terror there. Um, Macy Chasson defeated Shana Young. Shana Young was putting up a fight early, man. That was fun to watch. I started rooting for her just for that, but 
Shashaum took over. Uh, Howley and Paiva came through. Probably one of the only, uh, one of the biggest saviors of the night for many, I think, especially uh, in D-Gen land or MMA betting land. Uh, defeated Mark De La Rosa. And good for Ali and Piva, man. They do the talent. Got to rewatch him again going into the Kai Kara front stuff. All right, guys. Pulling up. Uh, it's 12 minutes. For Bellator, got Dublin, Thackerville, Bellator, Europe, however they mess with it. And then also pulling up odds, we'll be going straight into Auckland. Um, pretty much for Bellator, Ed Ruth. Versus Amosov. Uh, Amosov's the favorite, which might surprise some, considering how big Ed Ruth gets talked up and, you know, how strong, and deservedly so, the respect of uh, highly credentialed wrestlers who enter the sport uh, of MMA get. Um, however, Amosov, I didn't get to go tape study, but this guy's done nothing but impress me if this is the same guy. Uh, he debuted, I believe, against was a Gerald Harris, and I was just super impressed, um, if memory serves. I can't remember if he was Southpaw or Orthodox, but he just technically did everything right. Like, kickboxing sound. He kind of reminded me of, like, um, a stronger version of uh, Nardiev, Ishmael Nardiev. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't have his credentials or anything in front of me, but he just looks like he does everything really well, specifically outperforming, overperforming in the wrestling counter-wrestling department, which comes in handy against a wrestler, especially one that could gas now it's only three rounds but that being said um it's gonna probably be greasy and amasov if he doesn't ice ed ruth outright within the first two uh, he should be able to take over toward the end of the second and then bank the third for a sweaty 29 28 um miles jury minus 240 over brandon girth plus 200 jury i went back and looked i don't have it off the top of my head he typically does well against southpaws who aren't named ben benson henderson he's pretty much handily beaten in all the other ones he's gotten. So I suspect he'll do it here against Brandon Gertz. Um, so, yeah. Although, I would not mind seeing Brandon Gertz get a KO. Uh, Tyro Fortune, minus 700 over Timmy Johnson, Timothy Johnson with a mustache. Uh, Timmy Big Dick, as shout-out to the MMA Analysis, one of the OG podcasts out there. Call him. Uh, I'm also a fan of uh, Timmy Big Dick myself, um, who I'm sure I got. Probably odd looks from my coworkers when I submitted staff picks by using that name once. It was late. Uh, <laughs> plus five hundred makes me want to sprinkle in anybody, but I don't. Um, I'm less confident in in calling this line out than I am the next one, which is Valentin Moldovsky minus seven fifty. He should be the favorite. Um, but Javi Ayala, how many times has he played spoiler? And again, it's the spoiler division heavyweight, so you're actually getting more value on Javi on paper at f plus 525. I don't blame anybody sprinkling on those two heavyweights. You'll probably make some money back on one of them cashing with an upset. It's heavyweight. It's Bellator. Do, act accordingly, folks. Sean Bunch minus 505 over Kethley or Keithley? Is Keithley fighting this weekend? or is? And this is just a uh, mistake, or is Kethley... Like one of those Bellator things where like they had Bobby Lee fighting twice this weekend or something. Some guy named Bobby Lee or like Bellator will do those things. Like if you're related to somebody, like if you, of course, if you're a Gracie, they're going to give you a spot like real obvious shit like that. But like, what are these names? I forget. Like there, there are some names on there. Like it, I almost feel like if you have a, a name that sounds like a parody name, like, you know, like the Anderson Dos Santos of the world, like you're going to get into Bellator, like any kind of name to go, what, who's this guy? Um, like, it, it, I hope I'm making sense here, but I feel like there's just, I, I can't pull up any off the top of my head because my brain is spent, 
But I feel like Bellator does that all the time. Um, Sean Bunch probably should be favored, though, because the wrestling, I guess. Denise Kielhoff 190. Christina Williams, plus 150. Um, that's a fight. Go either way. <coughs> but I don't hate um, Kielhoff being favored. Uh, Leah McCourt, minus 320. Judith Ruiz, plus 260. Don't know anything about these ladies. Brent Primus. Minus 700 over Chris Bungard, plus 500. Jeez, I don't disagree, but that's a widespread. Kiefer Crosby, minus 450 over. I don't even know if that's definitely not the right way to pronounce the name. Plus 360. Beck Rawlings is your favorite, minus 230 over Alina Kaliandu. I don't know who that is, but you never know. You never know. I would be careful about playing chalk regardless. Ricky Bandejas finds himself in chalk department. Minus 235 over Francis Miambo Parabambo. Plus 195. Georgie Karajanian. Minus 145. Paul Redmond plus 125. That should be a fun action fight. I don't hate Georgie being favored, but, you know, man, it's like, I don't know what stage that guy's in his career, though. You know what I'm saying? So we'll see. Um, Aaron, Ch- and no disrespect meant there by that. Aaron Chalmers minus two forty five over Austin Clem. Don't know who that is, but yeah, okay. Chalmers could be the favorite. All right, folks, gonna mark down twelve and seventeen. Not too bad. We're 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 getting onward and upward as we start. The breakdown for UFC on Fight Night 168, UFC on ESPN Plus 26, UFC Auckland, UFC Felder versus Hooker. Dan Hooker minus 150, Paul Felder comeback as the underdog plus 130. Breakdown's already up on this for MMA Junkie if you want some details, um, some of the progressions in their styles each each guy has made. Uh, one guy, both guys were just you know come forward all offense dudes. Um, both guys have deceptively gotten better at defense, better at using feints. Um, a better counterfighter, better counterfighters both, but can actually establish the role and take the the reins and win fights as a counterfighter. Someone who is Dan Hooker. So in the breakdown, when I refer to his more flexible approach, that's what I mean. The fact that even though Felder can throw some stuff from uh, oh, getting a phone call, that's important. Pausing. And we're back. Sorry about that. No test results in. But yeah, um, just I meant more flexible in that sense. He can fight from both stands forward, coming backward. And not that Felder can't do those things, but Hooker has shown them more, more consistently, and has been able to even win fights uh, with said skills. Uh, so those are like the very, very slight edges. I mean, but, you know, when these guys get in and start smashing elbows, I mean, who knows? I I did put another reason why I kind of, and I'm, and I'm sure it's surprised to a lot of people that, why, you know, I'm, I'm a Felder homer. Uh, I've been a fan of him and his style and story before, uh, you know, meeting him on the military trip, so you can't even really blame it on that. Um, but I admit that. I've always admitted that. And uh, that being said, uh, I'm just kind of surprised to pick against him here. Uh, probably not doing myself any favors. I'm sure I pissed these fighters off. <laughs> like I piss a bunch of people off. Uh, well, you know, it's like uh, Detective uh, Somerset from uh, Seven. Uh, most people that spend enough time with me find me unbearable. It's kind of like this podcast and my picks. You know, you listen to it long enough, you're just gonna, you know, probably get over it. But, uh, but yeah, I'm probably not doing myself any favors in that department. But 
if I'm just being honest as an analyst, I, I do see the slight edges toward a Dan Hooker. Um, and that's not even mentioned any of the travel and hometown intangibles, crowd, etc., etc. Um, not that I expect those or Felder to fold to any of those, but I mean to deny that those things don't have uh, some intangible effect, you know, wouldn't be honest either. Um, and uh, the wearing damage is what I was kind of getting at too. You know, Felder, man, he's got that that Irish pale skin, man. Doesn't do him any favors, unfortunately. You know, it shows welts, cuts. You know, it's how he only got his only stoppage loss. He didn't get knocked out. The dude's got a hell of a chin. He's ridiculously tough. He doesn't give up. He's got good cardio, um, which is why I think this is going to go the distance. But he does wear the damage more poorly. And you got pinpoint, you know, strikes. Those are kind of those light ones or those more pinpoint light thrown out there mixed with the sharp stuff like the elbows and the knees like all that stuff's the kind of stuff that cuts here as well that strike selection dan hooker gets so essentially i feel like paul unless paul felder can really make it ugly for his benefit inside or he can find similar success which will be a lot harder against a more competent guy who uses and targets the same thing uh which are calf kicks like he used against james vick at distance then i see this um i see this uh going more toward the way of Dan Hooker, at least in the scorecard perspective, uh, over the stretch of five rounds. Um, you know, I really liked what I saw from Dan Hooker as far as his scrambles and his hip awareness improvements and the ally Quinta fight getting back takes of his own. He could possibly do that to punctuate rounds, but he'll have to be careful not to end up on bottom because Felder's not easy to submit, so I guess I'm, I, I'm not sure how willing Hooker will be because he's a smart guy, how willing he'll be to commit knowing that because if he, you know, does something wrong that ends up on bottom. Then you're exposed to hellfire elbows. And to be honest, Felder shows he can, you know, use them elbows from the bottom as well. Um, that was last fight against Edson Barbosa. Say what you will about the scoring of that fight. The record shows not only a win, but that Felder is just really a tough out. So um, I don't feel good about picking against him. I definitely don't think it's going to be inside the distance unless it's by another cut. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and, and, and pick Dan Hooker. But my heart's with Felder here as well. I mean, I'm a fan of both guys. That's what I hate about light, these lightweight fights. It's got my favorite fighters. They always got to fight each other. But the pick is um, Dan Hooker. Hooker. Dan Hooker. Hooker. That's my poor attempt at a <laughs> Anzac or New Zealand there accent. Hey, look. Six of them. Yeah, six. Sure. I don't know. I, I, all I know is it's like it's not Australian. Everything is more swallowed. It's like it's like Australians if they swallowed all their words and pronounced words like six sex. Like that's how I I think of like when I think of like the uh, New Zealand accent, which is awesome by the way. It's a uh, top five, uh, top three probably place for me to visit in the world. So much love. Um, so hopefully New Zealanders can end your night on a positive. But uh, I got some love for Polly Felder in that main event. Don't you doubt it. Co-main event, if you want to call it that, Mikhail Oluksajic, minus 125 versus you guys had a Jimmy fucking creep, plus 105. <laughs> um, I actually took Kroot here. Uh, I know Kroot disappointed a lot of people um, against Sirkinov. And Sirkinov's a hard guy to uh, back, especially just with everything he was going through, God bless him. Um you know, it was hard for him to get a consistent game going. So in no way am I going to flex chess at that. However, on paper, uh, looking at the skills, um, it, that shouldn't have been all that surprising. It really shouldn't have when you just look at it from all paper skills perspective. So I'm not ready to condemn Kroot for that. Um, 
he also seems to have a good attitude since the loss, right back into training, uh, working on everything, it looks like. Um, looks like he paired up with uh, Ben Sassoli, so it's a much slower southpaw, but he's got a southpaw to work at, and then, of course, he's got the more technical guys for speed, uh, lower weight guys, I should say, although not the fastest in Callan Potter, and um, Jake Matthews, who's young and spry and uh, probably won't hurt to work with. Um, actually, Jake Matthews, you know, although I feel like and we'll get to Jake Matthews, I guess, but he uh, he looks uh, he looks pretty trimmed down uh, for this camp, which is probably good, not, not the worst thing, but yeah, I still don't think he's that much of a size different from Mikhail Oksajuk. Oksajuk's like middleweight and shit. That being said, man, he really gets it done on that on the, on the feet in the first round. He's hellfire. Um, Jimmy Crute doesn't have the best defense in the world, so he's definitely going to take some shots. He's going to feel some turbulence, but I, I've seldomly seen Jimmy Crute uh, really rocked. Um, you know, he got caught up in the chaos of the moment, but I don't know if it was one shot in particular. Uh, with and by the way, my my tape study was really light, and, and although I did watch his last fight, I didn't. I don't remember it too well. Uh, as far as if he got rocked by one shot in particular. But I have a hard time remembering Jimmy Crute being rocked, even when during instances where he was losing. And he's gotten hit by some heavy shots and has been able to take them. So um, unless he gets hit in the liver, I'm not sold on Jimmy Crute folding. So unless he gets hit in the liver, slash folds in that very first round, or the first minutes of the f- first round, because... Oleksajic already started showing signs of tiring um, then, and he didn't get his second and third wins like he did in the uh, Khalil fight where he tested positive for all sorts of stuff, right? So I don't know how how dependable uh, Lord Oleksajic is um, later either, whereas Jimmy Crute has shown that, yeah, he got, he got caught in the chaos with the likes of Amisha Shurkinov, who's Oleksajic's not going to be able to do that, um, not just on the ground, but just that level of craft in general is not uh, not saying that he doesn't have it or have the ability or the intelligence, but Oleksajic's pace and immaturity kind of to his style doesn't really allow for much of that craft. I mean, he's good at what he's good at. I'm not denying that. But as far as, like, intelligent craft, you don't get a lot of room for that with that young sporadic style that he has. It's good. It gets the job done. It may get the job done here. But, um... I just feel like Crude has way more ways to win the fight. And so he's the pick for that reason. And at plus money, I believe the value's on him. So I actually took a shot. Do not jump off this cliff. What did I get him for? Uh, let me see. I didn't write these down. Yeah. Uh, I got him for plus um, 115. Okay. Uh, all right. Next fight. Um Marcos Rogerio de Lima minus one fifty. Uh, ben Sassoli, we just talked about plus one thirty. Marcos Rogerio doesn't he look like that guy um, who does that song? Fuck. Welcome to my house. We don't even know. <laughs> he looks like that guy every time. Um, basically, I picked Ben Sassoli here. Yeah, Rogerio de Lima is much more experienced in and outside the octagon. Um, and he should be favored, and he should win this fight. The problem is, and I'm surprised he hasn't got picked up by now, uh, at least by the odds makers, is that this dude just falls apart if he can't beat guys. Um, if he can't finish you, he falls apart. And he doesn't have much of a submission game, so not that he just, if he can't finish you, if he can't knock you out, he falls apart. 
I mean, this guy literally jumps in a submission. He puts himself back in a guard on top position, even though he actually has heavy ground and pound. And he'll put his neck under arms. Like, he literally, he asks for ways out if you can't do it. Um, Like, Ben Sassoli, who is a big Samoan guy, like, I would not be surprised if he submit him. Like, Ben Sassoli works in the jiu-jitsu gym under Dan Kelly, works with more lighter technical guys that are probably going to benefit him, like Callan Potter, who's a jiu-jitsu black belt, or Jake Matthews, who's a jiu-jitsu black belt, I believe, as well. Um, And then, you know, Jimmy Crute, jiu-jitsu brown belt. Uh, so I, I, I'm sure he picked up enough to submit a guy who's going to give his neck. And Ben Sassoli's never been stopped. I mean, even in the short notice with everything going on, say what you will about Greg Hardy, but that dude hits hard. That dude, Greg Hardy, I give Greg Hardy a better chance at knocking out any heavyweight in the UFC than Marcos or Jared DeLima, despite, again, like Greg Hardy or opposite Sassoli, DeLima has way more experience, but the guy... He just he just quits. It doesn't matter if it's a light heavyweight or heavyweight. There is no there's there is no difference. Um, so against a, a, a you know a, a tough headed uh, southpaw heavyweight southpaw who's never been stopped, uh, who has knockout power of his own. Um, yeah, I took Sassoli. I even despite it being heavyweight MMA, don't follow me off this cliff. But I even um, uh, took a Took a half unit shot. There's a half unit on crew plus 115. Half unit on his teammates, so solely plus 130. You know, they're not doing travel. They're fighting on their turf, essentially, even though I know they're from Australia or training out of Australia. Uh, but, you know, compared to the rest of the world, it has to travel there. It's not as bad, right? So, yeah. All right. Next fight uh, Yan Jianan minus 275. Karolina Kovalkiewicz. Plus two thirty-five, man. You know, um, you know, I love me some Carolina. Uh, trying to get creepy or whatever, like these guys up in these Eastern European girls comment section on the Instagram. You know, please, marry me, yes, more mishki, kiemen, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I do like me some Carolina Kovalkiewicz. Uh, all right, Dan, easy. That's not a part of the breakdown. I'm not picking her though. Um, I'm not trying to be raceless, but because she just reminds me of Chung Lee. I think Chung Lee's got this one. <laughs> Have Chinese folks relax, uh, and uh, you know, just like uh, Chung Lee doing the rapid kick to the car, like that's what Yan Jianan does to her opponents to bring some kind of tie into there to the analysis. There, uh, she she just blankets these girls with volume, and um, she makes the ha 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 noise, but she's actually making contact is the difference. Um, she's a dark horse if she can show more of her ground game. Uh, I kind of want to see her tested in that area. Sadly, this matchup won't. And sadly, this matchup probably portends badly for Karolina Kovalkiewicz. Um, that being said, from a non-personal point of view and gambling point of view, I feel like Jan is, is the parlay piece of the card. That being said, I said that about Tim Means, and look what happened. Uh, I don't see that happening here. That was welterweights men's. This is uh, strawweights females. I'm not trying to take any shots, but the... the the finishing statistics would say that there's something to to that remark. Uh, so, yeah, I think Jan's a good parlay piece here. Um, all right, up next, uh, you know you know how Shamil Abdurahimov is Dagestani Randy Gator. Dagestani Anton Shagur. That's right, Magomed Mustafaya, minus 140 against Brad Radell High, plus 120 is your underdog, Brad Riddell, uh from the City Kickboxing crew. I'm a big fan of Magomed Mustafaev. I'm a big man for anybody who looks like Javier Bardem, right? Um, I feel like if you mixed in like Eric Montano and Magomed Mustafaev, you you get Javier Bardem as Anton Chigurh in No Country for Old Men. Choose.
Well, I can't choose. I have to know what's on the line. I have to know what I stand to lose. You stand to lose everything, not choose. Uh, that being said, I actually took the dog here and Brad, Brad Riddell, um, you know, I put, uh, I put Mustafaev equals Anton Chigurh in my notes, but underneath I put defense question mark. It's funny, man. The sample sizes of people that have actually thrown in his fight, Adam in his fights is so low that I don't even know how his defense is. Like you got to go back and watch his old fights to get some semblance of it, but they're so old that. I don't know how much context is there. I mean, since then, he's trained with Jackson Wink. He spent time in American Top Team. This guy's traveled all around the world um, to train. Uh, so it's like, are we getting a different version? But I, I feel like Brad Riddell, I didn't. I went back to watch his kickboxing, his amateur, all that the first time, and I was really impressed, and I picked him against Malarkey. Um, that fight was closer than it than it probably needed to be, but it was an emotion. It was a kind of a turf war fight. There was emotion there, plus the UFC debut, plus Malarkey just being tough as hell, and that fight arguably could have been stopped. Um, plus, I don't think it was even like a full camp. I mean, so it's you really got to go easy on judging Riddell off that fight. That being said, that was the only fight that I went back to rewatch this time around, and you could argue that that fight showed way more in regards to sample sizes than all of Mustafaev's UFC fights, which I went back to watch um, this time around. Uh, we don't really see much defense. The most we see Mustafaev in any relevant form is his loss to Kevin Lee, where he was putting up a great fight, but getting just taken down most of the time and controlled and having to fight back to his feet. He's not going to have to deal with that here against Riddell, but Riddell looks like he can get offensive and defensive. I was really impressed with what he did in the wrestling realm. Um, maybe that comes from the Muay Thai training, but he uh, really took to that and really has an athletic base. I mean, the guy used to fight at middleweight. He is, he's another... Again, Mustafaev is going to have the power edge, and I pretty much give him the power edge to, on the feet against almost anybody in this division, but he will be facing another stout, muscly frame guy in Riddell who can also strike technically who I would argue is a more technical striker. Does that mean he is the better striker? Is he going to win? Not necessarily. But he is the more technical man with the way he inside parries, feints, slips, rips, puts combinations together. He will get hit, but he can come back with things, roll with things, come back through adversity, uh, work through the fire. I haven't seen Mustafaev have to do that in a relevant form of time. Um, and it, it, You know, relevantly, he's done impressive things against some impressive people with who also have, you know, whether you think they're impressive or not, like uh, Fiziev have at least, for the very least, impressive striking accolades. Uh, more impressive striking accolades than Riddell, who, you know, uh, was a dogfighter from what I remember. You know, he would lose a lot of the big fights too, but you got to keep in mind, um, he was kind of overachieving off of his athleticism. He kind of just jumped right into the fire. He's been doing it for 10 or 11 years now, but early on, he didn't have that experience. He was surviving off his athleticism, able to put these guys away, right? And offense and his technique was good, but it, it was pretty bread and butter. It wasn't, and this is, and I'm sorry if I'm, I'm, I'm a little off here because um, I did interview study, all the hardcore studies the first time around, and I didn't do them this time around, so it's a little rusty, but from what I remember, you see a real improvement um, since he got linked up with Eugene Behrman and the City Kickboxing crew. And as we've seen with guys uh, like Volkanovsky, they're not done evolving yet. So 
uh, I'm really excited to sit back and what we see. I think this should probably be on the avoid list or a sit back and see. But here I am taking a shot at, at Brad Riddell at plus 120, uh, only for a quarter unit. Very small there. Very small because, again, it should be a sit back and see fight. I know it's surprising. I'm, I'm sure I'm, I haven't listened to another podcast yet or anything or seen too many picks out there, but I feel like everybody's going to be on Mustafaev because, again, I'm excited for the dude too. I'm not picking him. Uh, so this is, a, in other words, this is another pick that, for what it's worth, I'm even surprising myself on. Pick is Brad Riddell there. Um all right, uh, the line seems to be shifting on this one, too. I think Zubaira Tuhugov opened as the favorite. Money came on Kevin Aguilar, as it should. But now Aguilar is the favorite at minus 115, where Zubaira Tuhugov slightly hanging on uh, at minus 105 there. Um, this feels like it's going to be sweaty either way. Um, I know the Greek gambler there is on Tuhugov, which I figured is going to push everybody else to Aguilar. I figure Aguilar would be the more sexy guy to bet on anyways. I'm a fan of Aguilar like y'all are, the angel of death. I mean, Slayer, how, come on, right? Um, but, uh, and, and you know, he's got really good counter-wrestling, even though he never wrestled and doesn't work with, like, you know, uh, you know, a lot of top wrestlers, MMA wrestlers per se, but has a nice crew there in Texas. You know, he's got Derek Krantz, a, a heavy welterweight, and, uh, believe some other gentlemen. Um, I'm not sure if we had much for this camp. There wasn't too much on Kevin Aguilar's social medias. Um, and But good for him if he can keep home camping it. I, I'm not, uh, But at, at the higher levels, um, I'm not sure. This is a really good matchup because Kevin Aguilar, typically uh, he gets better as fights get grittier, but he also kind of gives away those first rounds. You know, he's a counterfighter with good counter-wrestling and heavy hands, so he commands a lot of respect in there. But he still ultimately does his best work when countering. Um, and I think that's going to be the case here. I don't think he's going to want to go forward. Anytime he goes forward, that's when he's going to be most susceptible to Z- Zubair, to Hugoff's uh, wrestling. He's To Hugoff's super athletic. Um, you can tell he really got by on his athleticism. Um But uh, I'm actually not as... Even though I'm picking to Hugoff here, I'm actually not as confident... Uh, and the wrestling is most. I suspect the reason why most, if most people are picking Tugov, they're confident is wrestling to win the fight. I think it's definitely going to help. It's going to help the striking exchanges on the feet. The fact that Kevin Aguilar, albeit well programmed to deal with that, ultimately will still having to be deal with the threat of another phase. Um, but what actually sold me was Tugov's left hook. It's one of his favorite shots, and you can't really listen to that too much. Or re, you know when they put that in their their, their UFC fighter bio. Uh, but he actually hits guys with it quite consistently, you know. He dropped uh, Lerone Murphy with it um, and in the last fight. He's had a lot of success. And if you look, the left hook is what Kevin Aguilar gets hit with the most. And I suspect it's because he is a counterfighter who is also a power puncher, which means he's going to sit flat on his feet um, and sit down and know his power. And that's great for his power. That's great for his counter acumen. He's got the eyes open, the awareness, and the counter wrestling to help facilitate that style surely however that also means the fact that he sits and plants means when guys follow up and are competent enough to follow up he is there to be a hit see Dan Ige hitting him to the both the body and the head Barzola also got him good to the head uh Joey Gomez got him with a good left hook like I think like everybody's like the most meaningful shot if not rocking or cutting or damaging him have all for the most part been slash come off of left hooks. I couldn't stop seeing that. 
So you mix in the left hook plus the takedown acumen, and even though Aguilar's got a good get-up game, uh, Tuhugov's riding game to me looks like the one thing that um, has has improved. And his fight with Lerone Murphy, you know, we could look at it as a red flag, but the fact is Tuhugov, it's hard to, to, again, to condemn him off it because Tuhugov was coming off such a long layoff, all that pressure and intangibles around him even being back in the UFC, you know, all that pressure. And then he's fighting in Abu Dhabi, not just that uh, the pressure of everything going on there. You got all the fucking, you know, he got the second largest pop next to Khabib, you know what I'm saying? Not just that kind of pressure, but the heat. I mean, I forgive a lot of the fighters in that car. The mat got to almost like 100 degrees or some shit. Um, I mean, it was ridiculous. Like, I wrote, like, uh, I think last time I was talking about Tahugoff, like, before that fight, I wrote Antagonizer. Because I was joking, like, he almost has, like, you could tell like, he has a shit-eating grin. Like, it makes sense that he would have hopped the gate and punched McGregor and gave him a cheap shot. Like, that looks, that totally looks like Tahugoff. Like, I was joking, like, I feel like you could be at a distance, at a far distance, where it's hard to recognize anybody's face, like, watching them all play a flag football game, but you could recognize who Tuhugov was, just by the way he was moving, like, you'd see him over, like, trying to pant somebody, or trying to, like, be a little shit, flicking someone's ear, running, running on the other way, or tapping someone's shoulder, like, he just seems like that fucking kid, right, um, and, um, but, like, he looked drunk as fuck, I wrote, in his last fight, like, like, a lot of fighters did, because of that heat, so, even though Tuhugov, and I went back and watched, he does show like he kind of he coasts and lets off the gas. Whether he's, I don't know if he's gassing is a little dramatic, but he is definitely coasting detrimentally. And part of it could definitely be pace management. Not that he's gassing, but he's worried about gassing, which almost can be pretty much ultimately just as bad if it, in sense, costs you a round, right? Because a round could cost you a scorecard. So even though you aren't as dramatic as the word gas or gassing or has a tendency to gas. I wouldn't go that far, but there is enough of a pacing issue there to worry, which is why Tuhugov's been in win or lose in these close fights on paper. Um, however, I, even though that fight with Leron Murphy, it's almost just like a Brandon Moreno and Askarov is one of those fights where you got three different scorecards, one of them being a draw, which ultimately made the fight a draw. But there were justifications for all three scorecards. So it was an interesting fight that way. So you really can't get too mad at the draw. However, um, I don't think that was a really good job by Herb Dean officiating that fight. I think, you know, refs help influence things. It's like Damian Mergliata blamed him instead of, you know, admitting his fault of not being in between Cowboy and Tony. He goes, oh, it's a cheap shot. You're dirty to Tony. And um, that comes over the broadcast that influences us. Well... What is arguably worse, you could say, because this is their paycheck and they're tied to the result, is these refs also not just influence the result, obviously, but they actually influence the judging as well. Um, again, I'm a fan of this trend going away from the wrestlers where, you know, like, they're, we're rewarding damage. You know, we're rewarding activity on bottom. If a guy's throwing up submissions and cutting a guy open with elbows, we're seeing some, le- there, there, there are signs that there's being leeway shown to these fighters. And I'm all for that. Uh and even though that this fight, Lerone Murphy and Tahugoff was certainly riding that line, I don't think it was as offensive and as egregious as the ref was saying, who was saying, work, come on, work. I think in Herb Dean's mind, he was trying to be fair to Lerone Murphy, who was showing that he was trying to work. However, 
when he did that, all it did was encourage Murphy more than work was to more encourage the ref more. So it actually, he wasn't actually rewarding Murphy. He was actually disincentivizing Murphy to work and incentivizing Murphy more to play the game. So Murphy did. And regardless of whether or not that's why Herb Dean, Herb Dean is ultimately accountable for his own actions. But yeah, Herb Dean kept playing that game, telling Tuhugov to work, who was trying to work in hold position. But you saw as soon as Tuhugov would release his uh, grip, the grips he was working off of to uh, strike, Murphy would immediately and smartly get up. And Murphy himself was undefeated going into that fight, folks. We don't know much about him. So again, that fight could actually age quite well, uh, which is another reason why I'm not ready to... Uh, condemned to Hugoff here. Um, and especially in that third round, you know, like, you're like, work, come on, work, work. And, like, it just totally, like, the way the round was playing out, like, yes, uh, Murphy landed some shots, for sure, and had moments, but they weren't, like, anything that hurt to Hugoff. In fact, when do you really see to Hugoff hurt? Really rare. Um, he, he shows to get hurt, and he has a lot of options from wrestling to sticky wrestling when the wrestling's not being effective, footwork and movement, distance strikes. I mean, he has so many options to play with, to buy time, stall time, keep safe until he is ready to score. Um, so, yeah, I mean, aside from the gas tank, I don't see him getting rocked or knocked out by Aguilar. He's definitely not getting submitted and out-wrestled. So I suspect it's going to be a sweaty decision, but if he lands some of those left hooks that have, have had a lot of success and help other fighters sway momentum, um, I think his wrestling and riding will be enough to capitalize on it. Um, uh, I'm not as confident in it as others, but to Hugoff, from a wrestling and purely riding perspective, you know, he's... He's up there with Ige in that part. I like Ige's finishing much better than Tuhugov's, but as far as the in-between phases, before you get to those dominant positions that Ige is better than finishing from, Tuhugov's right there. So we'll see how how it holds up with um, Kevin Aguilar. But um, I got Tuhugov here. I wasn't going to play it, but if this line keeps trending and, and we get a plus number on Tuhugov, I'll, I'll, I'll take a shot. Next fight, Jylin Turner. Mr. Turner, the tarantula, who was apparently like raising a spider army or something. I, I didn't read that article yet, but my God. Um, against a late replacement, uh, Josh Charsubao. Cooley Bao. Uh, sorry, I like Charsubao. It's one of my favorite foods. Um, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm going to pick Turner here, but uh, Cooley Bao is a Kulo. Cooley Bao is a. Undefeated and on some prospect watches. I didn't have time to read any articles or dive into any footage or anything like that. So, don't know. But this could be like one of those upsets because Turner's got a switch on him. And as we saw with Anderson, you can have all the reasons to win. But you got to respect that switch because that switch is real. So, I, I, I the value's on the dog. I'd stay away. Um, Jake Matthews, minus 210. A wheel member, Mick, plus 175. Um, it was a frustrating to see Mick get out-wrestled again against a guy whose game plan was so clear. Um, and whereas Matthews um, got back on track against the Harry Rasta Rasta Machman, um, um, but it's, it's hard to know what you're gonna get with Matthews because sometimes he comes out and shows like it, what I was alluding to earlier was his fight with um, Li Jing Liang. I mean that was just so damn impressive. Uh, who who Lee was, how Jake was fighting, and the, to make the trifecta, how Jake was looking. I mean he just looked like a freaking jacked middleweight. Like, I don't know what was going on with that fight, but 
we haven't seen a lot of those things from Jake since, or I haven't been as consistent, I should say. I didn't get a chance to go see if he was like fading or just Rocco Martin was outclassing him before he got the choke. I can't remember. But I did watch the Ackman fight, which was just a disciplined kind of get-back-on-track fight. He didn't show the gas. He showed the pull away during the later half, so that was good. Um, and uh, I got to imagine he's going to try to have to f- follow a similar game plan here if he can't get this wrestling going. Um, I'm going to... Man, I'm rooting for for Meek here. Um, if I were to play anybody or sprinkle anybody to Jen, it would be on Emil Meek to win. But it's it's hard not to pick Matthews. I just don't think he should be minus 210, and I'm definitely not playing him. I'm rooting for Meek. Again, I mean, if I sprinkle, I'm sprinkling Meek. But it, it's hard as an unbiased analyst to not pick Matthews here. Um, to either submit Meek or just, uh, which Meek's never been submitted, by the way, or just at least control him enough. Um to get two out of three rounds and if you can avoid being knocked out in in the negative space of that equation, you know? So the pick is Matthews, but um, that one's on the avoid list as well. All right, next, Kenan Song. Song Kenan, minus 200 versus Kellen Porter. Um, Kellen Porter, I've got trips. Plus 170. <laughs> um this is really just, you know, this is another kind of classic. Uh, is, is the grappler going to get it to the ground or is Song going to take down defense, going to hold up and scrambling, going to hold up and um, get it back to the feet, you know? Kenan Song's a more athletic guy, um, and he's shown that athleticism has saved him as far as takedown defense, but then he'll reward his takedown defense by jumping for a back and falling over, which would be really trouble against Callum Potter, who's a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, you know, seven-time Australian champion, yada, yada, yada. Wins most of his fights by submission as a do-or-die fighter. So I see this as a do-or-die fight pretty much for the most part. Um, speaking of do-or-die, uh, prop, uh, fight won't go the distance between Sassoli de Lima, minus 180. Both those guys are do-or-die fighters. That seems like, that's almost playable, chalk straight up, but uh, I'm going to parlay that to you, John Ann, and tell you what, that, what I come up with here. Um, but yeah, um, it's essentially like a two outcome fight or it could be a sweaty decision, but the two outcomes is either Potter by submission, which by the way, you can get Potter by sub for plus 1100. There's value. If you're looking for, to take a shot on the dog, I'd say just take a shot by sub. Um, because Ken on song seems really tough and durable and I, I've, and, uh, neither guy really goes to the decision much, but, um, uh, I could see Kenan Song having the advantage there, not just because of cardio, which I do believe he has an advantage of, and he's been the decision more. But if you if this fight makes a decision, it means Potter essentially wasn't able to submit Kenan Song. So unless Potter was able to just take down and control this dude for the whole round, three rounds straight, then got to imagine Potter took some damage. Because that's been thing. The Potter's thing has been counters and Patolo. You know, coconut bombs. You know, he's heavy handed, but he's you know, I don't want to say he should be lightweight because you know the fight got scratched because he, I'm guessing he probably had trouble making the um, making the weight. Doctors pulled him right. We'll, we'll get more information on that. But the guy isn't like a one shot knockout power um, at middleweight, much less even welterweight, right? So it made sense maybe that 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 Callum Potter was able to win because you could see even though he got the the shit knocked out of him in round one he was happy because you could almost see it like he's like ah i could take the power i can take this 
Kid on Song's got some of that mutant Chinese power, though, man. Um, he's got that pinpoint right hand that I see just being potent. So I'm going to take Kid on Song to get the knockout in round one, but if he doesn't, this could be all over the place. I don't mind people being on the dog here, but I will say um, you might as well take that plus one, you know, 10x, 10x the value shot by him and going sub, which I rarely recommend, but, you know, it's worth it. Worth a look. I'm not saying jump off that cliff. I'm not. Nor would I tell you to jump off with me if I were. I'm just saying it's worth a look. Uh, Kaikar France minus 260. Tyson Nam plus 220. I was looking for a reason to bet the Hawaiian homeboy, right? I don't know. I don't know why I said homeboy. But Tyson Nam, you know, a veteran. want to see him get that one UFC win. Um, like Callum Potter was able to get his, you know. Uh, Kaikar France picked against him last time. Did well. Nothing against him like the guy, but... I feel like just I think his perception is really inflated. Um, it was beforehand because it's just the highlight reels and he looks exciting and he got hyped up by his teammates. And those said teammates uh, and teams that he kicked boxing have done better. So the hype has gone up, deservingly so. Not hating at all, but just calling it for what it is. Let's be honest, the hype went up, right? And we've seen that inflate the price of Kai Kara France. And Moreno undervalued and a guy who is upset savvy, so that... that so that did well uh, and looked well in hindsight as well. However, um, didn't see enough to pick Tyson Nam here. Uh, part of the reason was because Moreno's length, kicks, and body work with kicks and punches. Nam will go to the body, and he looks really good when he does. He just doesn't do it enough for my liking. Not only that, he doesn't strike enough for my liking either. He's got these trigger, really nice trigger counters and pitch counters when he's feeling in stride. But for the most part, it's one, one, twos, ones, one, two, one, one, two returns. And he can get stuck fighting his opponent's pace way too much. Now, Nam's got the power to come back, but not really to change tactics by like start changing levels, which Car France is actually, you know, good on the ground, can scramble, it's got some decent wrestling. So I wouldn't even recommend that anyways. But I'm not sure how much Nam can really even change gears on the feet. So I'm going to be rooting for Nam here, but it's hard to not pick Kai Car France. Um, I even kind of get the number, but again, Kai Car France, kind of Sergio, to the, similar to the guy Tyson, I'm just fought Sergio Pettis. You know, I feel like the bottom could f- not fall out as in permanently or something's wrong with them, but between their inflation to their ability to, you know, um, not fall apart and match up like, oh, they're mentally weak or they have no chin. Like I don't mean that kind of fall apart. But we've seen it in the Kaikara France fights where the momentum does start to go the other way. And I think it, it doesn't have anything to do with the chin. He seems like he's got a chin. He seems tough, all those things. Uh, I do wonder about the cardio, though. I've seen the pace slow down, and I I don't like that. Now, luckily, he's got a slower-paced guy that'll fight to his pace. But longer guys that can push pace and go to the body seem to be uh, – body and legs seem to be what uh, – Affects Kaikara France if you can take that right hand counter, you know. So we'll see. Pick his Kaikara France. Uh, speaking of uh, Maki Patola, real quick, and Sato, uh, really bummer about here about Sato, man. Apparently he had a dying father too. By the way, my pick was gonna. I was of course looking to, to pick and bet Maki Patolo, right? Hawaiian and dog money. But the more I looked at it, I was like, oh yeah, Sato. I was actually quietly impressed by this guy. He's only been getting better. He's a thick frame welterweight. He's not the biggest welterweight on paper, but he's he's pretty thick for that frame. He's got good strong base and balance. And Bilal's no slouch. He's only getting better. So the fact that he got finished, you know, um, I don't condemn him for that. And I'm, I thought Sato was actually going to be a decent play on this card. 
uh, for the price he was being offered at. But I, I feel more bad, obviously, because he had a dying father, apparently, who he thought about canceling this fight. And his dying father's wish was for him to fight. So, you know, he was going to come in here with all that motivation. And um, granted, I've competed, but nowhere near this, obviously. So I can't compare with that. But, you know, having a sick parent and wanting to fulfill their wishes and make sure everything is done in time. Uh, I've been recently going through it myself. So it's like, it's, man, do I feel for him. So I just wanted to put that out there. Um Two more fights. Uh, Angela Hill, despite the short notice, earning favorite. Uh, minus 175, whereas Loma, me, uh, plus 155, underdog. 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 Sorry. <laughs> Bad tie impression there. Um, but yeah, uh, that's kind of surprising. I'm a real big fan of Angela Hill, but again, not, not hating at all, but inflation is a real thing, and public inflation is a real thing, and... Everybody already loves Angela Hill. She's already a media darling. She's funny on Twitter. I love her. Nothing wrong with that. I'm all on board. However, you can't deny that that doesn't play into the odds. Now, even more so, she got the JRE rub, was recently on the Joe Rogan Experience. Um, I, you know, I do believe her that she's getting more of a hang on things, but I do think that her personality and, and approach of playing things kind of fast and loose somewhat being like that female Donald Cerrone, will produce some inconsistencies when she or we or both least expect it. I believe that's kind of the nature of, you know, there are no free lunches of, of taking taking that many fast fights, doing that kind of travel. Um, and even though Angela Hill, I believe she, she will be the longer fighter and her length will present Loma some problems, you know, Angela Hill's not as, as tall or long as she appears as well. I always forget that, you know. She's not the biggest, and she admits this herself. She's not the biggest straw weight. So that'll be good for Lukbung Me. And Lukbung Me in the clinch is just really good, the things that I saw. Um, she has that head position that's just beautiful where it's like borderline headbutts. I'm not for headbutts or cheating. However, there is some of that you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, and this is a fight. So um, I do allow leeway for that. I don't judge too heavily for that. And if you're doing it cleverly, I'm not hating it. Like, stalling is a skill. It's not the funnest thing. But if you're doing it really well, it's really hard to do really well against at the high level. So you're fucking earning it, in my opinion. You know, I'm not going to be go so far as Joe Rogan and be like, no stand-ups. Um, but, like, you know what I'm saying. You earned it. Um, and what else is a skill is, like, drawing an offensive foul, like in basketball, right? Like Dennis Rodman's of the world. And that's kind of like her head position. It's so good and appropriate, but she jabs it in there and beats her opponent to the pocket, to the, to the punch in the sense of beating beating the, her, her opponent to getting her head placed in the pocket. That she places it right where her opponent's head's going to be, except she's lower, set, and ready. So it's going to do more damage to the opponent than her. And I would not doubt that a little bit of that's on purpose because it's actually really smart. Because if you do it and you're crafty enough to do it where you're not making an obvious headbutt, you're kind of letting the opponent run into your head because you know where it's going to go. You also send a message. and It's like a counter. When someone gets countered, like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that again. Like, even when they don't get countered, but they just clash and feel your head. And they're like, what the fuck just hit me? Was it a punch? Did I just get countered? So maybe they do think they get countered and they get scared away. Or they're like, fuck, I just ate a headbutt. 
they complain to the ref, which will just show them losing composure, or they just get frustrated on the inside, and now they have to kind of deal with that. Okay, what do we got to do to approach that now? You know, like, that little thing does so much. Furthermore, she also did some of that slick Daniel Cormier stuff, where whether she has an overhook or she gives the underhook and works kind of a loose collar tie, she will pull down and angle off to the side, which makes straight-up attacks slash attacks from the opposite side hard to touch, both touch and gain leveraging power on her and still allows her some leveraging zones to kind of come up with knees and elbows of her own, which she's very equipped with. So I'm really excited to see the clinch fighting because Angela Hill's nobody's fooling the clinch, right? Like I said, with her last fight in the fight before, she's going to eat these girls up with elbows and knees, and what did she do? So I'm excited for the Muay Thai Maelstrom in this one. Very excited. That being said, I'll take the more prepared uh, fighter who um, thrives in what Angela Hill's specialty is, especially at Dog Money. Uh, wishing Angela Hill the best. I like Angela Hill, but uh, Loma Lukba means got a great story too. And pff, this girl's fucking been through it, man. So uh, I'm going to take the, the Thai fighter um, at plus money there for plus 155. I didn't even hit that, did I? Wow. Okay, let me... Uh, Hit that, hit that, boom, hitting that right now. Oh, not Cashew Ada. Whoa, no, no. Um, speaking of which, and then I'll pull up that parlay. We got uh, Shayna Dobson plus two, minus 210. Priscilla Cashew plus 125. I'm not sure if that's how the line opened or not, but uh, that can make sense. I'm going to take Shayna Dobson. I did absolutely no study for it. Um, poor Priscilla Cashew Ada, man. She took that awful beating, she survived drug addiction found something positive and then just got fucking demolished and that's how she's known for so hopefully she can do something here to break that I don't know if stigma is the right word but yeah but the pick is Shana Dobson um for that fight so I'm going to put this uh little little parlay together on five dimes here is what I'm using let's see what was Xiaonan uh, and Sassoli de Lima does not go to distance go. Let us see what it gives. So minus 180 plus uh, minus 275 here. What does that? Yeah, plus 102. Yeah, Jonan, just over, yep, yeah, uh, plus 1.02, I should say. Sorry, folks. Um, I believe it comes out to roughly in the neighborhood. That's Jean Ann, minus 175, and Sassoli de Lima doesn't go the distance. I feel like that's the value right there. All right, going to recap picks and plays now, starting with uh, starting with Bellator. Should I pull it up here? Bellator, UFC, Bellator. All right. Well, Bellator, I'm picking all favorites. How about that? We'll just keep it that easy. All right, this is a UFC Auckland breakdown. Taking Dan Hooker over Paul Felder. Taking Jimmy Crute over Michel Oleksijk. Taking Ben Sassoli over Welcome to My House. Rogerio de Lima. Taking Yan Jaunan over Carolina Kevlkevich. Taking Brad Rydell High over Magomed Javier Bardin slash Anton Chagor Mustafaev. Taking Zubaira Tuhugov over Kevin Aguilar. Taking Mr. Turner. Jylan Turner over Josh Kulibao. Taking... Jake Matthews over Emil Weber Meek, though my heart and possibly a sprinkle will be on Meek. Taking Song Kanan over Kellen Porter. 
taking Kaikara France over Tyson Nam, taking Loma Lukbung Ming over Angela Hill, taking Shayna Dobson over Priscilla Cachoeira. Parlay, Yan Jaonan parlayed at minus 275 with Sassoli de Lima doesn't go the distance for plus 1.02. Uh, threw a unit on that. Straight plays, I took Sassoli plus 120 for half a unit. Kroot plus 115 is teammate at another half a unit. Rydell, just a quarter unit at plus 120. And I threw a uh, quarter unit, kept it small, on Loma Lokmung Mi at plus one. Uh, Loma plus 155. Um, props, I didn't play anything except for taking that leg of Sassoli de Lima. Doesn't go the distance at minus 180. Um, for you Potter players, which I am not, Potter by sub, plus 1100 kind of caught my eye. Just worth some thought, if anything. Avoid list, Meek Matthews, Cooley Bow Turner, Dobson, Cashoeda. Thank you guys for all your support, all the kind wishes uh, toward my mother. It means a lot. Thanks for listening to this and making time for this and humoring me while I keep my mind off things. Um, if you want to continue to support the show, I feel bad if you're even plugging it, but of course, go to the host site linked in my Twitter, uh, which is at Dan Tom MMA or the podcast at the PYM podcast for any top five suggestions, questions, listener questions. But go to mixmarshallanalyst.com which is the site that hosts this website, to your right to toggle or just scroll straight down. You will see an on it click-through banner. Anything you buy through on it doesn't charge it. just kicks a small percentage of whatever you purchase back to us. I like the hemp protein. Check out the Amazon click-through banner. It works the same way. We all shop through Amazon. Just make the extra click or two. Go through MixedMartialAnalyst.com's banner. And uh, charges you nothing and just sends a percentage back to the show. Or if you just want to straight up donate to the program, because you can tell by the mics and the other things I've invested in recently, um, the money is going back into it. It's not going into my pocket, believe me. Uh, that's a PayPal donation link at MixMarshallAnalyst.com or just the freest of free iTunes five-star ratings and reviews. I promise I'm going to read the new ones. Thank you guys for that. Thank you for everything, and again, mainly just for the kind words. Hopefully I'll have better news, uh, and my mom will be further progressed, and back home even by the next time uh, I talk to you guys next week. So love your loved ones, man. Love them close. Um, and uh, try to take the lessons of life without having to take them, if you know what I mean, when you don't have to, because they're not fun. And always protect your necks.